welcome to Positively West Virginia, where each week we share positive stories about successful West Virginia businesses making a difference in our great state. Positively West Virginia is brought to you by the State Journal, WV News, United Bank, Mylin, and Interaction Media. Now, let's get down to business with your host, Jim Matuga. Welcome to Positively West Virginia. Each week on our podcast, we interview West Virginia business leaders and share their success stories with listeners all across America. Thanks for tuning in. We publish these stories on iTunes, on our website, PositivelyWV.com, and through print publications such as the State Journal and the Exponent Telegram, and numerous news websites throughout West Virginia, including WVNews.com. Our goal is to help educate and inspire our audience, people just like you, who are interested in West Virginia business with these positive business stories. This week, we're going to learn about James Estep. He also goes by Jim, President and Chief Executive Officer at the High Technology Foundation located in Fairmont, West Virginia. Jim, are you ready to get down to business? Yes, sir, Jim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, Jim, I'm, I'm just really glad to have you on our show to talk about your organization and what's going on at the High Tech Foundation. Jim Estep has served as the President and Chief Executive Officer of the High Technology Foundation since June 2000. Uh, yeah, June 2000. For t- 25 years, the High Technology Foundation has been committed to building a stronger West Virginia. And as we've discussed on this podcast show, One of the single biggest obstacles to a stronger West Virginia is the state's lack of economic diversity. Therefore, a part of the High Tech Foundation, their mission is dedicated to facilitating economic diversification. And part of that is through the I-79 Technology Park. Jim's effort at the High Technology Foundation have positioned the I-79 Technology Park as the premier economic diversification effort in the state. And we're going to learn about that here in the next few minutes. Under Jim's leadership, the I-79 Technology Park has expanded to over 350 acres and 750,000 square feet of Class A office and lab space. The growth of the park has attracted both government and private tenants alike. For example, the I-79 Technology Park is home to NOAA's that's NOAA's Environmental Security Computing Center, as well as two of the nation's most important satellite ground station programs, namely the Geostationary Operational Environmental Satellite Program and the Joint Polar Satellite System. Jim Estep is currently also working to recruit additional economic anchors in the technology park. Jim has been active in several business and technology efforts around the state and serves as the chairman of the Mid-Atlantic Aerospace Complex. He's earned his master's degree in computer science from West Virginia University and a bachelor's degree in computer science from the WVU Institute of Technology. A native of Braxton County, West Virginia, Jim resides in Morgantown with his wife, Melissa, and they have three children and two grandchildren. Jim, Take a minute from some gaps, in, or take a minute from that brief intro, fill in some gaps, and give us a little behind-the-curtain look into your personal life. Well, Jim, you uh, you identified directly this most significant issue facing the the economy of the state of West Virginia, and that is economic diversification, yeah. or a lack thereof, and what that has done to our workforce demographic. Yes, we have been so singularly focused or have allowed ourselves to become so singularly focused in one particular sector that 
it's a, it's caused us to not only be at the bottom of every economic indicator list, but also miss out on a lot of, a lot of opportunities. And and that's exactly what I've been working for a long time to try to address and to try to bring in some new new industry, specifically in the technology sector. Yeah. But of course, that's a heck of an undertaking <laughs> that anybody could try to uh, to, to tackle. Uh, you don't just create an industry overnight. You have to build it up piece by piece, and you have to put the foundation pieces in place. And Absolutely. probably the most significant foundation piece is there has to be a business case for that sector to thrive or to want to exist in the state. So yep. our efforts here at the High Technology Foundation, and specifically utilizing the I-79 Technology Park, has been to build that business case. And we're building that business case by recruiting federal operations like the ones that you mentioned in your introduction. Because each time we're able to bring one of those operations here to North Central West Virginia, it brings with it contracting opportunities for technology companies. And having that operation here creates that reason or business case for technology companies to want to come here. So our efforts... Jim, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but is, is that kind of what you refer to as the federal like anchor model? Is that kind of what that... That is exactly right. Okay. The federal anchor model in a nutshell is basically an economic development model or specifically economic diversification model. And the the, the theory behind it is the federal government, by the by the way that it's structured and established, they conduct enormous amount of contracting on an annual basis. So if you look around the country, you'll see that in any place where there is a federal operation, uh, you'll see a clustering of companies and industry around that federal operation because of that contracting. Now, we've proven out this concept here in North Central West Virginia over the last 20-some years with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the National Energy Technology Lab, and more recently, some of the NOAA operations that you mentioned. And so the more of these federal operations that we can recruit to our community, the stronger that business case gets, or technology companies or STEM companies or knowledge sector companies, however you want to mm -hmm. identify them, that business case goes stronger for them to want to be here, and they bring with it the job opportunities. But without that business case, you don't have the foundation pieces for a new economic sector. So that's really our focus. And you mentioned the I-79 Technology Park. We are developing this park in Fairmont to equip it with you know, the latest in telecommunications, the latest in electrical capacity, and just all of the types of infrastructure that's attractive to these types of operations. And then we're literally offering land here in the park to these federal operations for free just to get them to come here because of the impact that we know that they have and will have when they come here. Now, obviously that's not easy. I mean, there's so many factors that play there. That's the basis of our federal anchor model and our approach to economic diversification. Well, I think that's essential to, you know, to understand that because it makes so much sense, right? It, you know, I had uh, John Deskins uh, from West Virginia University Bureau of Economic Research on, and I actually got a chance to hear him speak a couple of weeks ago, and and he, he, he summed this up very beautifully. He said, without a doubt, we've got to figure out how to diversify West Virginia's economy. He said, yes. how do we do it? He said, I haven't a clue. 
<laughs> but but I'm here to say that what I think you guys are doing with this federal anchor anchor model in Fairmont with the high technology, you know, the foundation and the I-79 technology park, this to me seems brilliant because and you've been doing it for a long time. But yeah. you know, just that the you know, you talk what you're talking about is diversification in not only yes. with the types of companies i mean yeah it's high tech and we're focusing on technology which is incredible and stem uh, jobs and opportunities but each one of those is is a different type of um they're diverse right in terms of the entities it's not just yes. one type of thing well and i would make a point jim but uh you know we as a state have not effectively participated in the national sector in a diverse way for decades which is part of what has contributed to are perennially negative uh, economic rankings. And if you look at the national sector, what you're going to see is that it's predominantly rooted in the knowledge sector and continues to grow in that direction. I've seen statistics that say that two out of every three jobs over the next decade will be in the knowledge sector. So we have to participate nationally if we want to uh, 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 participate in the economic rewards that will come from that. And so our focus federal operations that are STEM oriented uh, is allowing us to do that. And, you know, what, what a lot of people in the state don't understand is that, you know, we're not just at ground zero, we're in a hole. And we're in a hole because, again, of our lack of economic diversity, but that lack of economic diversity uh, cr created a situation where our workforce demographic in the state was defined by that singular uh, existing economic sector. In other words, you know, our over-reliance on coal drove the type of workforce we have in the state. And as you know, and as everyone knows, you, you didn't even really need a high school diploma to make really good money in the coal industry, which was great. But because that was our only industry, our workforce has evolved to where we have a very low educational attainment because you didn't need an educational attainment to do well. Well, that puts us in the hole because participation in the national knowledge sector requires a higher educational attainment. So at the very beginning, we're behind the eight ball because we were one of the legacies of our lack of economic diversification is an unbalanced workforce demographic. And, and it's a chicken and an egg problem because, you know, do you go to the universities and colleges and say, hey, we need 50,000 knowledge workers next summer so that we can participate. Well, that's not going to work because they're not going to go home and wait for the jobs. They're going to do what they've done for 50 years and go to the surrounding states to get work. So it's a chicken and egg problem, but we firmly believe that our federal anchor model strategy will help us overcome that, that handicap because the jobs will be here and the companies that want to participate in, those, in, the, in that work will need to bring the workers back to the state. Awesome. Jim, how did you get started in the technology business? I mean, obviously you got your degree and, and all that, but how did you get started in, in this organization? What was, what, what was it that drew you in? Well, when I graduated from uh, WVU with my master's degree, I went to work for Unisys Corporation, and I was based out of Northern Virginia. And it was just by chance that I, I, I ended up coming back to – North Central West Virginia, because Unisys was participating on an Air Force contract that uh, Senator Byrd had helped uh, move to the state. 
And so I came here with Unisys to work on that project, and I became aware of the work that was being done here to try to uh, build the uh, build all of this. And it was uh, the early days of the West Virginia High Technology Consortium. That was the early 90s. And, you know, a lot of the companies in the community were helping uh, Senator Byrd and Congressman Mollahan try to, you know, build this this sector. And as a result, I was exposed to the effort. And I uh, there came a time in the mid-90s where um, uh, actually I had an opportunity to, to leave and go with Unisys to work on other projects in other parts of the country. And I chose to stay because I wanted to um, – to to help, you know, as someone who grew up in the state of West Virginia and and who had pursued a STEM degree, you know, I was painfully aware of the fact that there were very very few opportunities for me to stay in the state. And of course, I, I love this state. I've always loved the state. My family's here, so if I could make a contribution so that future generations wouldn't have to leave the state, that was kind of a motivation for me. And you know, once I got involved, it, it just kept evolving, and um, next thing you know, it's 20-some years later. Yeah. Well, you truly are on a mission, and uh, I could just speak for, for myself, my, you know, my, my colleagues around the area. We do appreciate your, your passion and effort to do just that, and you're, you're making a significant impact. Jim, what's your 30-second elevator pitch for the High Tech Foundation and even the I-79 Technology Park? Can you bring, break it down to 30 seconds? Well, you really have to break it down to two places. One, uh, for those federal operations that are either relocating or looking for another operation. North Central West Virginia is the perfect place because the cost of living, cost of operations is low. We're far enough away from the greater D.C. to D.C. area to be safe, but not too far away to be impractical. And the High Technology Foundation is probably the only organization in the state that is so significantly trying to diversify the economy with with the knowledge sector. And so, any support we can be given uh, to 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 pursue, continue to pursue that mission is really important. Awesome, awesome. Jim, you and I talked a couple of weeks ago at an event, and I ran into you, and, and you had a lot of things that were just really kind of, you know, very exciting to me to, to, to hear about. I, I just want to ask, like, what would you say is the thing you're most excited about for the High Technology Foundation right now? I would say that the growth in the cybersecurity area it's very exciting to me. That's obviously something that is uh, the highest priority in both the private sector and the government sector right now. It's a huge issue. And we were very fortunate to have recruited to the park uh, the U.S. Department of Commerce uh, Enterprise Cybersecurity Operation. They, they refer to it as the Enterprise Security Operations Center. And uh, we recruited that here to the park. It's evolving into what could become one of the biggest cybersecurity programs in the country. And certainly from a federal anchor model perspective, uh, having that contract activity here has brought just a whole bunch of new companies to the community. But, and so, so it's a contributing in that fashion. 
But what I'm excited about is that it's allowing uh, us to begin to create a center of excellence in cybersecurity for the region. Uh, Like I say, you need to have a base, fertile ground for innovation, new startup companies, uh, those kind of things to grow out of. And having such a significant cybersecurity operation creates that fertile ground. And I'm really excited about what the next few years are going to offer in terms of cybersecurity-related innovation. And moreover, having that kind of activity here serves to attract, hopefully, other federal operations as well as private sector enterprises who are looking for cybersecurity solutions and want to be someplace where there is such a fertile ground. Now, the same could be said for our supercomputing center that we have here. Uh, the, the NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they are rapidly getting into the supercomputing business in a big way because of all the data that they're collecting related to the climate and to weather. They just have to have supercomputers to crunch that data. But it's put us in a position where uh, North Central West Virginia is now a quote-unquote player in the high-performance computing world. And I'm hoping that that same kind of birds of a feather phenomenon where other federal operations as well as private enterprise involved in high-performance computing that want to participate in, you know, this is really important because most people don't realize we're kind of in a quote-unquote space race with China for supercomputers. You know, one year we develop the most powerful, the next year they develop the most powerful. And this race has accelerated the evolution of supercomputing, and it's made supercomputing something that's affordable and practical for even medium-sized businesses now. And as that sector evolves, it's very exciting to me to think that North Central West Virginia could be a hotbed of this entire new sector if we can continue to cultivate it. Absolutely. Jim, and that just, you know, obviously creates more opportunities, not only to attract people from outside of West Virginia into our state, but it also has an opportunity to, to keep our, our best and our brightest right here at home in these, in these technology yes. and cybersecurity types of industries. You know, can you, can you just kind of touch on, Jim, if you could, um, like the, t- the numbers of jobs that are tied into maybe both of those industries, and then over, overall, how many jobs are actually there in in Fairmont as a result of all the te- you know the high tech foundations uh, efforts. Well, I think you have to when you look at the job impact of the you know technology sector, if that's what you want to call it, the federal anchor activity. You have to look all the way from Harrison County, Fumon County, and spilling over into other counties because you have, for example, as I mentioned earlier, the FBI's Criminal Justice Information Service in Clarksburg. There are literally thousands of people working at that site. Um, I can't remember the, the, the latest count, but it's got to be you know three or four thousand easily. Um, here in the park, I think the last count we did was about a little over twelve hundred people working here in I seventy nine Technology Park, and that not only includes uh, the no activity and the NASA activity, but remember too we have the Mon Power Regional Headquarters operation here as well. Then you go to then you go to the National Energy Technology Lab in Morgantown, which again has thousands of people. So the impact of this activity is 
you know, in the thousands. I, you know, I would, I would have, I don't even know how to venture a guess, but it's got to be somewhere between six and eight thousand people. Um, now, more specifically, for example, the let's take the new cybersecurity operation. Right now, it's getting started, and there's probably about a hundred people, hundred cybersecurity professionals working on that program right now, and that's. It's a three shift a day, three sixty five, you know, twenty four seven, three sixty five, as you can imagine, mm-hmm. and that's just getting started. So we could be seeing, you know, that could double or triple over the next few. That's years. incredible. Yeah. So, um, again, we want to leverage that activity to recruit more uh, federal operations because our ultimate goal is to exponentially grow that business case that makes the technology STEM-oriented companies want to be here. And, you know, you hit on something important earlier, you know, keeping our um, educated residents here in the state. That is critically important because, you know, the state has produced some of the top STEM-oriented professionals in the country over the last several decades, but they've all left the state. And it's because, again, it all goes back to the lack of economic diversification. But as we're ramping this up, there needs to be an initiative to recruit back to the state those West Virginia citizens who grew up here, got educated, and are now working all over the country, but they have the skill sets we need to fill the jobs that we're recruiting. That's probably one of the most important economic development initiatives that's going to have to be pursued over the next several years. Um, And that is, again, recruiting expatriate STEM workers back to the state to fill the jobs that we're creating. Absolutely. Any ideas how to do that? <laughs> Put you on the spot. Well, uh, you, you know, the, there's there's a couple components to it. First of all, there's the outreach, advertising the opportunities. And quite frankly, something of that magnitude has to be done by the state of West Virginia it has to be led by the state of West Virginia, perhaps through their Commerce Department or West Virginia Development Office. It's a we're calling you home STEM workers initiative. I think that has to be tightly coupled with, for example, the colleges, universities, alumni networks. Take, for example, WVU. WVU has a, a, a system that they built called the I think it's called WVU Connect, and they're trying to use that as almost like a social media platform to reach out to their alumni. These types of resources have to be leveraged to get the word out to those expatriate West Virginians with STEM skills to bring them back. Then there needs to be some type of clearinghouse. I don't know if that's a uh, a database that was developed that uh, these expatriate West Virginians could put their information into this database and companies who come here to work on these projects could tap that database and look at the skill sets and you know, make inquiries to those folks. Something of that nature has to be put in place. Yeah, that's uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's uh, that's really um, maybe we could work on that together. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, that's a great, it's great, critical. great. It really is critical. I, I know. I, I, it's just a great vision that you just laid out right there, and I, 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 I saw it as you were describing it. Jim, you know, talking about vision, uh, what's what is the vision uh, long term? for the um, High Technology Foundation and all the efforts that you have out there. What's your long-term vision? What would you like to see uh, several years out? My, my long-term vision is that I 
give away every single building site in the I-79 Technology Park to a federal or private operation that is STEM-oriented and that does an enormous amount of contracting every year so that we build a business case that has a has the critical mass or magnitude such that it provides the basis of a new knowledge sector in the state of West Virginia that could stand alongside the economic economic output of whatever our coal industry looks like today is whatever our natural gas industry would look like, but because one of those anchor economic sectors in this state that ultimately not only diversifies the economy, but uh, balances out our workforce demographic. Jim, I want to take a second here just to mention some of our sponsors for the Positively West Virginia podcast. They are the State Journal, WVNews.com, Interaction Media, United Bank, and Milan. It's the support we receive from these organizations that allow us to highlight the incredible things happening throughout the great state of West Virginia. All right, Jim, thanks for that. Uh, let's get back to it. I, I, I want to ask you, you know, if you, you know, you come across entrepreneurs and, and business people, you know, of all ages uh, on a daily basis, but what's one piece of advice you would give to people uh, here in our state, entrepreneurs, young business owners, uh, about getting started and growing their companies? What's one piece of advice you would have for them? Be patient. Understand that growing a business in our state, our region, you know, you're not submerged in the in a pool that has the kind of density of opportunities you might have in Northern Virginia or someplace like that. But that's okay because there's enough of a density of, of opportunities that you can get a toehold. And you, you try to define yourself so that you are filling the needs that these customers have. You're not saying, hey, how can I, how can I come in and help you, give me work? You've got you to take the time put in the work to understand what those needs are and to the can be innovative in helping them uh, um, helping them to address those needs. And then moreover, you know, as most businesses understand, most entrepreneurs understand, you gotta network and understand who your partners can be. Uh, I think that's really important. But stay focused on that and be patient. And don't let yourself be overwhelmed because this is, this is going to be a journey. This isn't going to be some – you're not going to just turn around one day and everything's great and running along. It's going to be <laughs> Exactly. I had, I had a guest on uh, several weeks ago, and she said, you know, anybody can start a company, but building a company over the long haul, long haul that's, that's hard. <laughs> and so I, I, love, hard. I love that. Be patient. Jim, what's one thing you do every day that you think contributes to your success? I make sure that I take time every single day to, whether it's a couple of hours in the morning or at the end of the day, to research the latest trends in the sector. You know what's going on, and you know what what are uh, you know what's the status of the latest innovations. You know, for take for example, cloud computing. Um, all of the federal operations that we're trying to recruit are struggling with how to adopt cloud services uh, in part because it's evolving, but also, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, save money. And so, so anyway, 
I know that all the federal operations that we are trying to recruit, that's a common theme in their in the, their, their efforts to adopt that technology. So I want to make sure that I'm understanding what those technological challenges are and trying to think about um, you know, how might we uh, help them with that. Another example is that every single, not only federal agency, but every company and everybody and their brother are trying to figure out how can I adopt uh, artificial intelligence technologies to do better or to make a difference. And, you know, it just so happens that for me personally, when I got my master's degree, that was an emphasis for me. That was an area that I was really interested in. But back at that time, we really didn't have the computational capabilities uh, to really make it a mainstream technology area. But I know that now that we have evolved to that all of these enabling technologies have evolved. Um, that's something of great interest. Well, it just so happens that just up the road from us at Carnegie Mellon, they, until last week when MIT created their own, they had the only AI-based uh, program for uh, uh, that you could get a degree in AI. So, you know, I've been trying to stay in touch with that and, and leverage the close, close proximity to Carnegie Mellon to once again make us attractive. So I make it make it a point every day to carve out some time to really try to understand where everything is. Uh, it, it's impossible to, to be an expert in it. You can't keep up with everything, mm-hmm. but you have to. You have to stay in touch with that because it's such a critical element. You have to keep your finger on the pulse, that's for sure. What's Jim, what's one resource that you use in, in your organization that you just can't live without? Uh well, I was just to say my assistant Lori because she keeps everything straight. <laughs> That's perfect. I think anybody who knows me knows Lori would uh. second that. But you know, I, I would say just our people because it's a cliche when people say if you want to be successful, surround yourself with successful good people. But it's so true. It's so true because you know I can have a vision and I can have a game plan, but Obviously, I can't do it all by myself, so I have to delegate pieces of this vision out. And if you don't have the right people executing and contributing, then you're not going to be successful. So I go out of my way to make sure that the people I bring into this organization, and I have brought into this organization over time, are the right people for the right job and they're of the highest quality. And You know, sometimes you have to Again, be patient to try to find that person, but that's such an important component of that. That's great, Jim. Um, what's uh, what's one book you would recommend for aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, especially in the STEM uh, side? Maybe just kind of what's one what's one thing you would recommend that they get their hands on? Well, you know what I have learned personally is that you know there is no silver bullet. There's no, you know, uh, there's no one book that says, hey, you read this book, it's going to give you the roadmap. I I don't think that's the fact at all. I think what you have to do and what I have done in my career is that I've read books from uh, leaders in the technology sector 
as well as other industries, and try to craft, for lack of a better word, an amalgam of a leadership style and a management approach that I think best fits my circumstances. Uh, and and really, you have to do that because, you know, for example, you know, I recently read um, Walter Isaacson's book, uh, his biography of uh, Steve Jobs, and you know. Jobs was an incredibly successful person. I mean, he not only started Apple, but he reinvented Apple. He started Pixar. He his success you can't challenge the success. But I would never. I can't. I can't adopt his style mm-hmm. because I don't agree with it. You know. Right. Right. But there are pieces in there. There's pieces in there that I like. So I look at those pieces and I say, yeah, the, these are some best practices that I like, and I'm going to put in my tool chest. The same is true whether, you know, you're, you know, you, if you've read a book about Lee Iacocca or, or, you know, whoever, you, you look at that and you say, okay, I think that fits with my, you know, my perspective. I think it fits with my values. And I think you have to do it that way because if you try to emulate one style or think that if I just do whatever this guy did, I'm going to be successful. It doesn't work that way because every single situation is unique and dynamic and you have the tools necessary to adapt to that. And so, you know, look for best practices. That's my advice. As you read these books about leaders, managers, or management styles, look, look at it, take the perspective of looking for best practices. It's, yeah, it's incredible wisdom right there, and, and uh, definitely uh, you know, appreciate you sharing your insight on that. Jim, you know, this, is, this has been an awesome uh, interview with you. I, I've learned a lot, and I think our, our listeners and readers will, will go, uh, gain a lot of insight as, actually to what the High Technology Foundation and what you're doing at the I-79 Technology Park. Is there anything that you would like to add that we didn't cover that uh, you think would be valuable? I would just say that, you know, from my vantage point, I think West Virginia is positioned to leapfrog into the front of the pack of the knowledge sector in this country. And and I'm not not being hyperbolic or (laughs) exaggerating. I truly believe that. There are some opportunities in front of us that if we could figure out a way that the, the, the key resources in the state could come together and capitalize on those, we could redefine West Virginia like it's never been defined. So I hope that everybody kind of puts it in their brain and thinks about that and pushes their leaders. And if you're a leader, you know, start thinking that way. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Thank you. Jim, uh, in closing, how how can our listeners learn more about the High Technology Foundation? And, uh, you know, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, go to our website, WVHT. Dot org. You know, we've the website's designed more for someone like a federal anchor or somebody looking uh, who, who might be somebody we're trying to recruit. But I think if you look at it and read through it, you'll get the, the idea of what we're trying to achieve. It's it's really not complicated. Uh, well, it's hard to execute, and it requires enormous resources. But the concept is pretty straightforward. Yep. And that's, once again, 
htf.org, and we'll make sure we have links in the show notes. Then you can just click on that, and folks can can find your site. Uh, Jim, once again, it's uh, it's been excellent having you on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank I know you. you're a busy guy, and uh, just thanks for being on. Thank you, Jim, for having me. Absolutely. Well, folks, that's a wrap on another episode of Positively West Virginia. Positively West Virginia is brought to you by the State Journal, WVNews.com, Interaction Media, United Bank, and Milan. As we continue on our journey to help share positive stories of companies and people doing amazing things all across the Mountain State, just like Jim Estep and the West Virginia High, Tech, uh, High Technology Foundation, our hope is that we in some way inspire and teach our audience by sharing these success stories across the state of West Virginia. If you or someone you know of would be a great guest on the show, drop us a line on our website, PositivelyWV.com. And we appreciate all the comments, encouragements, and emails and notes that we get each week. We really appreciate that. And, of course, if you can, uh, you know, share these episodes on your social media channels as well. On behalf of our entire Positively West Virginia team, until next time, I'm your host, Jim Matuga.